Well, today we are uh, continuing in our journey through the book of Acts. And so we have come up to chapter 4, 3, 2, 1, blast off. All right. Uh, chapter 3. It's chapter 3, right? Uh, and uh, you can listen to the uh, previous uh, messages that we've been, uh, you know, that, that discuss uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2. The main thing that we want to uh, get at this point is, is that what's happening is the beginnings of the restoration of Israel, uh, as uh, promised uh, by the prophets and as demonstrated uh, by the apostles and the pouring out of the Ruach and, and so on. And so it's important that we get that, that perspective, right, uh, in uh, what's happening here in Acts. Uh, because usually the way it is portrayed, it is uh, once you come to Acts chapter 2, it's like the end of Israel, the beginning of the, uh, the church, uh, and, uh, you know, and, there, and there we go, right? But, but what we see actually happening is something very different, uh, uh, because usually we define church as the Gentile mission, you know, the Gentile uh, work. Uh, but that's not what's happening here. Uh, what is happening is it takes place in Jerusalem. It's taking place among Jew, Jewish people. Uh, it is the beginning of the uh, fulfillment of what the prophets had promised. It is the beginning of the age of redemption, uh, the new age, we might say. And we really don't get to really the Gentile mission until the 10th chapter. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting to see it that way as it unfolds. Uh, and that is how Luke is writing it. So because this is, uh, especially in Acts, in Acts 2 and 3 in particular, you have these speeches of, uh, of Peter, uh, and it's about the restoration of Israel, uh, that we can learn a lot from these speeches on how the good news of Messiah was good for Jewish people, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and what uh, Peter is saying. So we already looked at chapter 2, and I don't want to take the time to repeat it. But now when we come to chapter 3, we have an example of what was taking place. Back in chapter 2, it says that um, the apostles were performing uh, great signs, right? So in chapter 3, we have an example of one of those signs, uh, and then Peter, then just like in just like in chapter two, when the Spirit is poured out and people are confused and astonished and don't know what's going on, and Peter has to explain it. So now we're going to have uh, this uh, great sign, this miracle uh, of the uh, uh, healing of a, of a lame man, right? And pe people are confused and don't know what's what's going on, and so Peter has to explain it. Okay. Uh, and so what's, what's interesting is the, uh, the messages, they have some things in common, but some things clearly very, uh, very different. Uh, and we'll point that out as we, as we come to it. But what I would suggest is when you look at these speeches, and like we said a few weeks ago when we looked at uh, the speech in chapter 2, study that well, as well as this particular uh, speech and explanation of Peter uh, because I think that what Peter does, especially here in chapter 3, is he is going to answer some objections that people have 2,000 years later to the coming of the Messiah. You know, uh, Peter is going to answer the, uh, the objection of, well, if Yeshua is the Messiah, why isn't the world turned upside down? Why, uh, uh, you know, uh, usually the, the question is, why is there no peace, Right? Uh, he answers that in chapter 3, although no one's asking that question. He does answer it. <laughs> uh, but there's another question that I think is, uh, it's not overtly asked, but I think it's present in the text that he's going to answer. Uh, and, uh, and I think that uh, he answers it very well. Uh, and again, uh, in the way he uh, shapes his answer, clearly he's talking to Jewish people. Oftentimes when we're uh, sharing the good news with our people, 
we're really not sharing the message with them as Jewish people, you know? Uh, and clearly, uh, you see the message. One of the things we learn, we will see all throughout the book of Acts, is that the good news is presented a variety of different ways, you know? Uh, it's not uh, just, uh, you know, four, four laws, if, if you know what I'm saying, right? Uh, or just like the Romans road, right? We like to say there's the Isaiah trail, uh, right? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, uh, and so there's a variety of ways of presenting the good news. Uh, and we see a variety of ways right here in the book of Acts. So there we go. All right. All right, so it says here, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at about the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Okay, well, there you go. This is, uh, we're going to stop right here. So the last time, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked about the aftermath, right? The aftermath, what happened, what's the rest of the story in Acts, back in Acts chapter 2? Uh, and we said that they were, they were unified, and, and we talked about what they did, but, but what Luke is really bringing out, that this is this new spirit community, and, and it was, uh, you know, th- there was a great unity among them, and they were, they were eating together, they were sharing together, uh, they were uh, learning together, uh, helping one another, all of those uh, kinds of things, and numbers were being added uh, uh, daily, and the apostles were doing these uh, signs and wonders. All right, but isn't it interesting that in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at about the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. What it tells us is, is that they did not see themselves. Their self-identity was not, okay, it's the first day of our new religion, right? I hate to use term- terminology like that, but it's kind of how the, it's how the world works, right? Uh, the first day of Christianity, right? Or the, the first day of uh, the rest of our lives uh, in a whole new culture and world. And clearly that is not the case, right? Now what happens to many of us uh, today when we come to know uh, Messiah, boy, I could tell you lots of stories on that. Uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is, is, uh, is that they were right there in Jerusalem, and it's the afternoon, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, approximately. Uh, and it was not only the time in the temple for afternoon prayer, but also the afternoon offerings, uh, offerings, uh, as well. And so they were part of, uh, uh, the Jewish world, hanging around the temple. Uh, they still considered it. See, another interesting thing, not just, oh, they were there, but it is interesting that they still considered the temple a holy place. That's kind of interesting. They still considered the temple a holy They didn't, like, reject the whole thing. That, that's the point, you know, you know? So very important for us to get because that's kind of like us, right? I, we uh, see ourselves, we're part of the Jewish world, uh, a, a different uh, a type of community because of the pouring out of the Ruach and the centrality of, uh, of Yeshua. Uh, but we do not see ourselves as foreigners, uh, uh, people uh, that uh, have rejected uh, the uh, Jewish community or uh, the, uh, the temple, so to speak. Right? Okay. So while they're there, okay, It says, a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Okay, so this is kind of interesting that this was the daily practice of people. Now, this gate is called the Beautiful Gate. Uh, no one is exactly sure what the beautiful gate is. Some people believe that it's called the, it's called the beautiful gate like a nickname uh, because of what happened here. Uh, the Nicanor, a gate perhaps, the east, on the eastern side of the, uh, of the temple, right? Uh, today, you can see like an outline of the, of the eastern gate. It's, you know, it's uh, walled up, but uh, it's kind of interesting. 
Uh, and, uh, and so here is this man who is laying there, and his expectation is he's looking for alms, tzedakah, right? Tzedakah. And this is uh, something of a high and great value uh, in, the, in the Jewish uh, community uh, of a giving a charitable giving, right? And, and so uh, this is what they're, what they're doing. This is a very normal uh, activity, right? Okay. So he's begging for alms of those who are entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. That's all he's looking for. He's just, you know, uh, he has no other expectation other than getting some money, okay, to, to live off of. Uh, so uh, now, uh, uh, very interestingly, Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him. So Peter, Peter's with John, and Peter, like, laser focuses on this guy, right? And, and, and he says, look at us. Right? Okay. So that's kind of the, 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 the picture we get. It's, it's not like, uh, oh, by the way, and, and it wasn't uh, also, interestingly enough, this man does not say, oh, I recognize you. You are related to the son of David. Will you heal me? No, no, no. He doesn't recognize them. He doesn't know them, you know, from Adam. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, uh, he, and he's just look, looking for uh, funds. But they take notice of him, all right? They take notice of him. Uh, and uh, uh, he, uh, Peter says, look at us. Okay, and then it says, and he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Like, okay, all right, you know, I'm ready. What do you got? Okay. Uh, but Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. Okay. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, the Nazarene, walk. Okay. So Peter says, I don't have any money. Or I don't have a lot of money. You know, silver and gold is like a euphemism. I don't have a lot of money. I don't have money. But there's something else I can give you. Right? Uh, it's kind of interesting that, uh, the, you know, there's a story, um, uh, it's, it's some kind of uh, story in the annals of church history of uh, one of the leaders of the church was counting money, counting money, and says uh, to uh, another high uh, church official, ah, now we have silver and gold. And the other official says, ah, but we're not making anybody walk, you know? <laughs> It's a, it's, a, it's a great story, actually. I just butchered it, of course, but, but you get the point, right? Uh, you, you get the point. What's important, right? What's important? We don't have uh, silver and gold, uh, but I'm going to give you what I have, right? And so uh, he tells him to uh, get up, uh, to walk in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Nazarene. In the name of means it's not magic, it's not an incantation. It means in the power and the authority and uh, of Yeshua, okay, uh, uh, the Messiah, the Nazarene. It's interesting that he says the Nazarene, uh, that he's you know the the one who was here, you know, not too long ago, right? Uh, uh, walk, all right, uh, and seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw, and, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the, at the gate, at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement uh, at what had happened to him. Okay, so this is a very public display, right, of the of the uh, of, of the power of God. Of course, there's a great lesson in it, isn't there? Of course, you know when Peter says, "I don't have silver and gold, but I'll give you what I have." Uh, how important it is uh, for us living uh, in the 21st century in North America. 
uh, as a Messiah followers, uh, oftentimes very concerned about the silver and gold, right? Uh, very concerned about the silver and gold, maybe not so concerned about giving out what we have, you know, which is the opportunity for people to have changed lives, right? And, and uh, uh, to live differently, uh, uh, to be healed inwardly, outwardly, and, and, uh, and in many, you know, many different ways. And so certainly in the first century as well as now, if Peter had a lot of silver and gold, uh, probably Peter and John would be seen as, hey, look at, you know, wealthy, uh, wealthy people who have come. But they were not wealthy. They didn't, they had hardly, they pretty much lost everything. That's important to get. They pretty much lost everything in their time with Yeshua. Okay? And so here, Peter uh, is really demonstrating, well, this is how this new spirit community kind of works. You know? Uh, and it's kind of interesting because at the end of chapter 2, it says in verse 45, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them as anybody might have need. And now here Peter says, I really don't have much, but I'll give you what I have. And so there really is a, a demonstration when you look, when you add all this up of compassion uh, and, and of giving uh, uh, out from ourselves and uh, how important it is for us to see what do we have we have a message that is not only in word, but also in deed, right? And, uh, and the power to change people's lives. Uh, and uh, it's very, very, uh, very important, okay? All right. So uh, the people uh, see this, and they're astonished, all right? Okay. Now, Peter is now going to explain what has taken place. What's going on here? First, he needs to like set the record straight. He says, And while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. Okay, So peop the people are looking at Peter and John. Now, this is not the only time that this is going to happen. Remember later on, uh, uh, Paul is going to have to tell people, don't worship us. Right? We are emissaries of uh, God, of, uh, of Messiah Yeshua. Right? So the people are rushing toward them. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, again, note it, this is who he's talking to. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? In other words... What, what, what are they amazed at? Uh, you know, I might suggest, okay, the, the guy got up and walked. That's pretty amazing. But I think by what Peter is saying is, we're not miracle workers. You know, I, I, we're not miracle workers. This is not about us. I don't uh, focus on, uh, on, on Peter and John. Don't focus on us. This is not about us. Don't marvel at the experience. Don't marvel at this like it's some kind of sideshow at the circus or a magic show. The next thing he says is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Yeshua, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Okay, I guess I'll read the next couple of verses. But you disowned, he repeats it, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. In fact, we are witnesses. Okay, so it's interesting what his focus, what, what Peter's focus is here what, when he's talking about this. He does not talk about the healing of, the, uh, of a man. Uh, he talks about, immediately, talks about Yeshua, immediately. Okay? And it's interesting exactly what he says here. Uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Now, if you're a Beth Messiah kind of person, that should kind of like just sound very like, familiar, right? That is a very... Jewish way of address of speaking about God, 
uh, and of speaking about what God does. Because uh, in the uh, Amidah, right, when we read Baruch Atarani uh, Eloheinu, Velohei Avotenu, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, Velohei Yaakov. Well, there you go, right? Blessed are you, O Lord our God, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the great, mighty, and awesome God, most high God, who grants chesed and is master of all. And, and the text goes on. We say that every time. And, and so here, when Peter says here, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, uh, Yeshua. He is speaking in very Jewish terms about uh, an act within the Jewish world. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, has glorified his servant, uh, Yeshua. Has glorified his servant, Yeshua. Interesting that he uses the word servant here. Uh, again, something very, it's a Jewish category, you might say. A Jewish category for the servant of the Lord, which when we're talking about this context is, of course, the suffering servant uh, of, uh, of Isaiah. All right? Uh, and, uh, and so uh, Yeshua is uh, certainly understood here uh, as, the, uh, as the servant of, uh, as the servant of the Lord. Okay. Uh, and so now when he speaks of him uh, as the servant, what comes to our mind maybe is Isaiah 53, right? But it's interesting that the beginning of that section in actually Isaiah chapter 52, right? In verse 12, I think it is, or verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper... He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. In fact, if you go on here, it says, Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. We can stop there for our purposes. So here uh, it says right away, the servant, it's kind of a paradox. The servant suffers the servant is glorified, okay? And so here, in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter says that the God, of, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has glorified his servant Yeshua, okay? So he identifies Yeshua as the servant of God who belongs to uh, Hashem, the, 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 the God of Israel, Right? And then it's, it says he glorified him. Now, God doesn't go around glorifying, you know, a people, right? God is glorified. So isn't that kind of interesting, right? So he glorifies his servant. This is a, a very important phrase. Uh, clearly, what you have here is Peter is stating that Yeshua is not just a guy that you, that you misunderstood, okay? But he is the servant, and God has now glorified his servant, Okay? Now, this should remind us, in a couple of places here, will remind us of what we read in the Gospel of John in the seventh chapter. Okay? On Sukkot, on that Sukkot day, the seventh day, when he talks about, uh, you know, if any man is thirsty, come to me and drink, and so on. And then you have John's uh, explanation in John 7.39. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. Well, now Yeshua is glorified. The Spirit is poured out. And uh, here we see uh, this lame man is healed. And Peter is explaining that, okay, you're wondering what happened? We, we go back to Yeshua. Uh, the God of Israel has glorified his servant Yeshua. You know who he is. The one who you completely misunderstood. The one whom you uh, sent to die? The one who you had a choice to save his life, but you chose a criminal instead? A murderer instead? Remember him? Right? And so he reminds them. Of, then he says, 
uh, in reiterating, he says, but you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer. So he says the holy and righteous one. That's also kind of interesting, calling him the holy and righteous one. Just talking about the righteous one. Oh, let's go back to Isaiah 53, but to the other end of Isaiah 53. So it's like Peter is making a reference to the beginning of the passage and also to the end of the passage. Kind of interesting. So in Isaiah uh, chapter 53, toward the end, in verse, uh, I'll read starting in verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. So here, the servant in Isaiah 53, the servant is called the righteous one. No coincidence. Surely Peter had Isaiah 53 on his mind, right? Referring to uh, Yeshua as the servant who's glorified and also the righteous one. But you put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. So what is he saying? He's saying, even though you judged him wrongly, God's power uh, is not hindered by your judgment of him. This is kind of what he said in chapter 2 also, right? Reminding them that you, you sent him to his death, but he's raised from the dead and he lives. He lives today and we are witnesses of it. Certainly we, meaning Peter and uh, John, who's standing right next to him. We are witnesses uh, of it, that Yeshua is alive. Even though you think, you think he's dead. No, 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 no. Death could not hold him, right? He is indeed alive. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Yeshua which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Okay, so he's saying, it's not me, it's Yeshua. This is what Yeshua has done. What you are seeing by this lame man being healed is proof that Yeshua has been raised from the dead and he is alive and he is still at work. In fact, Yeshua has been quite busy being seated at the right hand of the Father. He has poured out the uh, Ruach, right? He has changed uh, the nature of the relationship that uh, these apostles and all who uh, embrace Yeshua have and he heals uh, people. He has healed, and here is like exhibit A, he has healed uh, this uh, lame man. Now, it's interesting what it says here about on the basis of faith in his name, meaning, very important to understand what's going on. People ask, people who think about this, ask, is it the faith of Peter and John? Is it the faith of, of the man? What is this issue of uh, faith or faithfulness? Well, it's very interesting that when, remember that the man uh, has not asked to be healed. The man is actually asking for money, right? In fact, he doesn't really know what's going on. But uh, Peter takes the initiative uh, here. So when this man is healed, it's very interesting Uh, this man is not healed because he thinks that uh, he is entitled to be healed uh, because I am a child of God, therefore I'm entitled to be healed. No, that is not uh, this man. Uh, This man uh, is not thinking that uh, this is what's supposed to happen. No, he has no idea. This healing comes upon him. But where faith comes in or faithfulness comes in, is how he reacts to it. He reacts believing. And as we'll see, you know, in chapter four, what's going to happen is they're going to get arrested. Peter and John are going to get arrested as a result of, of, of this. And, and the story continues. 
Uh, but it is the receiving uh, on, the, on the other end of it that the man certainly uh, believes and certainly Peter and John believe. But it is not because the man believed and therefore, like, this is his ticket. If I believe, then this is going to happen. That is not what happens here. And read just about every healing that takes place. It is people uh, who are not related to the community, not, follow, not yet followers of uh, Yeshua. And they believe, and then they're followers of Yeshua. Isn't that kind of interesting? Just interesting observation uh, about this text. So what it is, it is in the power uh, and the authority of Yeshua that has strengthened uh, this man. And uh, it is the resulting faithfulness uh, that we see this uh, testimony. Okay? All right. Very good. Faith or faithfulness comes through Yeshua. Uh, Yeshua, not, you know, he heals the man. He gives him new life. It's not just, now I can walk and play basketball now or something. Okay? Uh, he gives him new life. It's a very holistic thing that he receives. He receives life in Messiah. Okay? Uh, and that is what Peter is referring to. When, when he says new life in Messiah. And so we need to recognize that, that God is at work in our world and he is giving people new life. We get to be the emissaries. We get to be carrying the bucket, so to speak. You know what I mean? We get to be uh, used of God. It's, it's all about Yeshua. It's all about what he is doing, and that is what Peter is absolutely focused on, on the work of Yeshua, okay? And that this faith comes from him, faithfulness comes from him, healing, new life comes from the Messiah. And it's not about silver and gold. All right, something much more precious, right? Doesn't that take all those other, I don't have time for it, but all those other verses of what's, of what's more valuable, uh, then silver and gold, think about that in so many different passages of, of Scripture. And Peter is here demonstrating, uh, demonstrating that. All right. But now in verse 17, now he's, see in verse 16, he's given the answer. This is what happened to this guy. Yeshua, remember, the one that uh, you sent to be crucified. He is actually raised from the dead. He is the servant of the Lord. He is glorified. Uh, and he healed this guy. Even He's invisible. He's here. It's like the invisible real world. Yeshua is here. You could not keep him down. And this man is living proof. Okay? All right. But now he's going to go on and say, but now we have to discuss this issue of, what, of how you, you uh, did not uh, recognize him. Let's get back to that, Peter says. And now, brethren, like he could have stopped after verse 16. You know what I mean? But he's going to continue. Because he's got more on his agenda than simply explaining what happened. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. Okay? But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Messiah should suffer, so he's called him servant and Messiah now, here, he has thus fulfilled. Okay. So he says here, you acted in ignorance. I understand it. I know that you acted in ignorance. Uh, later on, he talks, you know, Paul will talk about how, uh, how the, uh, the pagans have been uh, ig ignorant, right? Uh, when Paul is in Athens and he talks, he says, hey, you're, you're a pretty religious folk here. Uh, but notice, I see you have an altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you who he is, Right? Uh, so the whole world has acted in ignorance, but here he's referring specifically to the situation that took place where Yeshua was front and center and they didn't get it. And it's interesting, he says, you acted in ignorance. You know, my brethren. I mean, he's talking, you know, we're, uh, we're related, like Jewish person to Jewish person, you know, uh, you acted in ignorance. All right. And so remember, 
what we said last time, because he brings this up also in chapter 2. And that is, you know, when you read Isaiah 53, not only does it say that the servant is glorified and that he's the righteous one, but that we didn't recognize him. We did not recognize, it's prophesied. It's part of the predetermined plan of God, as Peter said in the context here uh, yesterday, right, uh, in, in, in chapter 2, that this ignorance was part of the program, okay, by the, uh, the providence of God was part of the program. And remember, uh, we also looked at Zechariah uh, chapter 12, and in Zechariah chapter 12, it says, they, uh, we will recognize him whom we have pierced, right? And because we didn't recognize him. So the unrecognized Messiah, in other words, we know he's the Messiah because we didn't get it. How's that for a paradox, right? Part of the truth of the coming of the Messiah is that we didn't get it. And Peter is saying, I know you acted in ignorance, but you know what? It's not too late. This is great news. It's not too late. And that is a great truth for every single one of us, right? Perhaps uh, maybe you're here and you grew up going to a church somewhere uh, or going to a synagogue or, or hearing about uh, Yeshua or, you know, Jesus in some context, somewhere, somehow. And, uh, you know, maybe you made a profession of faith when you were two and, you know, confessing your sins of, uh, I don't know what, of crying at night or something. I don't know what. I, I don't know what right? Uh, immersed at age four, uh, and you were set for life, right? Uh, but then uh, life goes sideways, right? And we're acting in ignorance. We really don't know him. We really, we think we know him. We don't know him. We think we know who he is, but we're totally missing the boat. But isn't it great? It's never too late. It's never too late. Peter doesn't say, you blew it. Now I'm going somewhere else. That's how this is, frankly, preached, sadly. The Jewish people blew it, and now we're going elsewhere. You know, even Paul, later on, we'll see, when it says he shakes his feet off, and he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. You know, old habits are hard to break, because the very next verse says, and he went to this other city, and he went into, he went to the synagogue. You know what I mean? So uh, it's uh, very important to get that, that that mission has never ended. You know what I'm saying? That mission to Israel has never ended. And so he says here, it's not too late. Okay? Uh, and he says that the Messiah should suffer. This has been fulfilled. In other words, it's part of the, the plan. Saying, repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Yeshua the Messiah appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets uh, from ancient times. Now this is where we're getting into something really helpful uh, uh, to us that was not in uh, chapter 2. First he says, repent. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't, because he talks about faith in verse 16 and about the man being healed and through the faith of each other. He doesn't say have faith. He says repent. Kind of interesting, you know? And so you, we might ask, well, what it, well what it, which one is it? You know, uh, is it repent? Uh, be faithful? What is it? Uh, now, uh, probably all of the above, right? In other words, to say it in a, a whole different kind of way, have a positive response toward Yeshua. If you have a positive response toward Yeshua, you will turn to him, turn from your sins, right? And trust in him. Trust in, trusting in him is being faithful to him or having faith uh, in him. But it's much more than just, I believe it, or I believe in him. It's, I embrace, that's why we like to use that word, I embrace him, you know? Uh, and I, uh, I'm, I'm faithful to him. I, I trust him. Uh, and so what Peter, though, is saying, this is no small thing. Repent, therefore, and return that your sins may be wiped away. He is saying, whoa, in this servant, this righteous one, who he also is called the Messiah, sins get taken away. He is, he is demonstrating here 
without using uh, all different kinds of like theological words, that Yeshua is identified with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's identified with as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because all the things that he's saying that come through the servant, the Messiah, the righteous one, are the things that God does, are the things that God does, okay? And he is unabashedly and unashamedly uh, saying this is who he is, all right? But notice, okay, so repent, turn, and return. You know, he's emphasizing it, that your sins may be wiped away. So it's not just have more faith. You've got to turn around. You've got to embrace him, live in him, for him, devotion toward him. You know, turn a different direction, right? That your sins may be wiped away. Uh, then it says, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing. Okay. Well, we need to look at this, all these few verses like together. Okay. In order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Yeshua the Messiah appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. Okay. So... What we see here is that there is a period of time called the times of refreshing that's not the same as uh, the return of Yeshua, okay? You have the times of refreshing, you have Yeshua at the right hand of the Father, and then you have that the time of restoration may come, okay? Clearly, uh, when they repent, notice it says that... Um, Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord come as a result of repentance and returning, okay? That he may send Yeshua, the Messiah, appointed for you. So he's saying that this is not done. This is very important. He's saying this is not done, okay? Heaven must receive. So Yeshua, is, it's interesting what he said. Heaven must receive him. This is a way of saying he's at the right hand of the Father, until the period of restoration of all things. The, the period of restoration of all things is the consummation, the end, the new heaven, a new earth. No tears, no sadness, no disease, no sickness, none of that, right? He's saying that's coming. Yeshua is at, is, uh, at the right hand of the Father right now, whom heaven must receive, been received by heaven. He went up in the cloud, up in the sky, right? Until that happens. But what happens now is seasons of refreshing, right? Repent so that there can be seasons of refreshing, of knowing the Lord, of resting in Him, uh, of being a restored in, 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 in Him, okay? This goes back to what we read in chapter 1. When they ask this question in verse 6, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even in the remotest part of the earth. And then, of course, it says, and after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Okay. Uh, and so that, that, pan, that part of Acts chapter 1 informs what we're reading here in chapter 3. That Yeshua has been received into heaven until the day of restoration. But in the meantime, repent, believe, trust. And there are times of refreshment. There are times of refreshing. Seasons of refreshing that we have in Messiah Yeshua. But this is not the end of the end. This is a very important thing Peter is saying. Because if I was those people, I might be thinking to myself, okay, if he's the servant, if he's the Messiah, if he is the, the righteous one, if I, if I, you know, then this must be the end. So you know what I would ask? I might ask, how come that, that guy's being healed, but not every single other person is being healed? Why is there still Roman oppression? Why is there still wars? Why is the world still a lousy place? How come everybody doesn't get healed? Why that guy? What Peter is saying is, and what Peter had come to now understand is, 
Okay, because see, a question, a very valid question is, where is Yeshua? <laughs> He's the king. Why is he not physically here? Why is he not physically present? And why is it that the message is being rejected? Because next week we're going to see is as a result of this message, John and Peter are going to get arrested. Why is it that, yes, an amazing thing happened to this man in order to testify that, you see, there is the presence of the future, but all of the future is not yet here. And in the presence of the future, sometimes people get healed. At the determination of God. At the determination of God. And why is that? If you have an answer to that question, come and uh, talk to me. Okay? But what we see here is that it was at the, at the initiative of God that the man gets healed in order that there would be this testimony of the truth of Yeshua. You see? And uh, what ends up happening here? Then Peter explains, he's the promised one, but it's not over yet. Okay? That you need to repent so times of refreshing can come because Yeshua is at the right hand of the Father because we're waiting for this restoration to take, uh, to take effect, to come. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Romans chapter 11. When we read uh, in verse 11, I say then they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Because now it's verse 12. Now if their transgression be riches for the world and their failure be riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, and as much then as I'm an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection be the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but what? The restoration of all things. Life from the dead. And that's what Peter is referring to uh, here. Repent now. You can experience seasons of refreshment because as you repent now, and as our people repent now, and as we continue to preach this message, and people believe, the day will come when there'll be the restoration. And isn't that exactly what Yeshua said in chapter 1, when they said, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And what does he say? No, you'll receive power, and you will be my witnesses. And that's exactly what Peter is demonstrating and preaching and indeed uh, indeed saying. And so how important it is, it is uh, for us to understand that, okay, uh, Yeshua, the Messiah, has, Yeshua has come. He is indeed the Messiah, uh, that he does live. He is not in the grave. He indeed lives. And uh, we can experience his presence. We have new life in him. And we as Messiah followers have a calling upon us uh, to uh, share this message and give people the great gift in Messiah of new life. Embrace him of new life uh, in, uh, in, in him. And it's not about silver and it's not about gold. But it's also, that's the good news, but, but he says to them, but remember and recognize that the day of restoration has not yet come. Yeshua, just like in Peter's day, is still at the right hand of the Father, right? And so, just like we see here, there is persecution. There is persecution to death. Bad things happen to godly people in the book of Acts. It is indeed seasons of refreshing. But indeed, like Peter we know that the day is coming when there will be, indeed, the restoration of all things. And that not it interesting that Peter says that? Because let me just close with this. Peter talks about that, that the day is coming, that today there are seasons of refreshing, but the day is coming when there will be the day of restoration. Isn't it interesting that that very same Peter wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born from above to a living hope, to the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you, 
who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found uh, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, obtaining as an outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And so that very same Peter went on to write those words. And that's what he's saying to the Jewish people. You have this living hope. It's not too late. You didn't get it. Now you can repent. And now you can have seasons of refreshing. May that be true for all of us. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we thank you uh, for this great word. This is great news, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would uh, uh, realize that uh, perhaps you chose a lame man for this because the lame walking and the blind seeing epitomize the future, complete restoration. But Lord, may we realize that all of us, as Messiah followers, we have been healed of our bondage to sin. And I pray, God, that we would be able to share, like that lame man, that people may be amazed at our demonstration of faith. And Lord, I pray that people would would see that and see that Yeshua is alive because I see him in this person. May that indeed be our testimony. Lord, and God, we thank you that the decisions of human beings do not determine your plan. Lord, the rulers, whether it be Jewish rulers, Roman rulers, whether it be religious leaders or politicians in that first century could not suppress Yeshua, even though they killed him. Death could not hold your Messiah. Lord, thank you that he was raised from the dead, and we see this marvelous demonstration an explanation. Lord, this is good news. May this indeed be our message. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.